Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Body Wrappers' Angela Luzio is known for its fine Angela Luzio shoes and its amazing assortment of styles and colors of total stretch tights. Tyler Peck, principal dancer with the New York City Ballet, is its spokesperson and designer of Tyler Peck designs that fit perfectly, move well with the body, and won't ride up in the back. Tyler's designs are ideal for summer intensives during class and summer showcases. Body Wrappers makes additional apparel for all disciplines. You may view their many products at bodywrappers.com or to purchase Body Wrappers, visit your favorite dance shop or online store. To review and buy the entire collection of Tyler Peck designs, go to dancewearcorner.com. This episode is brought to you by San Francisco Ballet. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. This week on Conversations on Dance, our guest is Houston Ballet's artistic director and acclaimed choreographer, Stanton Welsh. Born in Australia to two prominent ballet dancers, Welsh expressed an interest in choreography almost immediately after beginning his dance training. Soon after joining the Australian Ballet as a dancer, he received his first choreographic commission, and five years later he was named resident choreographer. Following major commissions at companies around the globe, Welch was appointed artistic director of the Houston Ballet. We talked to Welch about coming from a family of dancers, his choreographic inspirations, and the challenges of directing a company. Stanton, well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it's so great to have you here, and especially on your day off right before uh, your premiere tomorrow night. So welcome. Thank you. Um, let's just start at the beginning with your dance career. So your parents were prominent dancers in Australia. What sort of influences did they have over your future as a dancer? Um, well, we grew up backstage. We were theater babies. And uh, my parents, although they danced together, were not they had separated when we were quite young. So we were we were really coming from school to ballet and being right. at ballet with mum as a mm-hmm. single parent. Um, so that was all the way through until about 12. Mm-hmm. And then she became artistic director of the ballet company for a while. And then after that, uh, she gave up being connected to the Australian Ballet. And all that time, we had not danced. We had absolutely, my brother and I, 
wanted nothing to do with ballet. It looked really hard. Mum was in <laughs> hospital. There were toenails falling off, you know, <laughs> blood. <laughs> ballet from side of the stage shows how, you know, athletic it is, okay. how traumatic it is, you know. Um, so it was always this thing over there that I knew they they did, but it, it didn't seem appealing to me and I really wanted to be a writer or an actor. I wanted to be in performing arts but not dance. So then when she stopped having anything to do with dance, I started having something to do with dance. <laughs> Traded um, spaces. Yeah, and I think it was just I started watching ballet from the audience, which I hadn't done before, and I realised how beautiful it was and that it was this really extraordinarily uh, deep and rich art form that each individual person in the audience had a different interaction with, kind of like a painting. Um, and then as an actor I felt like it was the ultimate form of acting because it was without words and it mm. – it, it transcended language and any kind of barrier and that physicality for us all, all cultures, means something and you can see something. So it, it just opened my brain differently. So at 16 I went in and said, um, I'd like to do ballet and they said, no, uh, this is crazy, it's too late. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, I'm determined and they gave me an eight-week period. Uh, they had opened a ballet school that they were both running and to prove that I was serious. So I took that eight weeks off high school and uh, did that and they said, okay. And then after about eight months of doing work with them, I auditioned for San Francisco Ballet School and I got in. <laughs> so you, you started that late at 16? Yeah, 16. That's incredible. Uh, so what about San Francisco Ballet School uh, piqued your interest? Why did you want to, to, to well, get I'd out been, of Well, I've been fascinated by America and New York in particular and uh, – I, we went to New York City Ballet School and I auditioned for that and I, I also got a position there. But I felt, for me, New York was a little overwhelming mm -hmm. <laughs> at the age I was. Okay. And, you know, I was so green in my language. I had no – I could watch dance and mimic them, but I couldn't follow the words mm -hmm. of it. So I found that that was not – I needed to have a, a school where I could do lower-level classes, upper-level classes. I needed more contemporary. I needed more mm -hmm. – access to different sorts of dance than I would have had in New York. So Jürgen Schneider, who was there, uh, suggested coming here to audition and that Jonathan Watts and Henry Berg were the teachers here at the time and Irina Jakobsen and they were all famous people. And uh, so I came and I auditioned and it, it, it felt like Sydney. <laughs> it was I couldn't have found a city that reminded me more of home. Mm -hmm. right. The people were friendly. There doesn't. It felt very welcoming. And, and uh, so I joined the school here and I was here for about a year and a bit, a year and a half maybe. And then from there I went back and joined the Australian Ballet. So what is the time trajectory here? So you started at 16. How long were you there? Like maybe I, two years training? I danced for about two and a half years. Before, before coming here? No, or before, before becoming a professional dancer. <laughs> so wow. how did you overcome that, uh, you know, that late start? Well, you say you had the, uh, an easy talent for looking at something and sort of emulating it. Uh, I don't even know if that was an easy talent for that as much as that was just how, how I learned ballet. So if someone okay. walked in and spoke French, I, I mean, I, no I still, it still makes me panic that I don't <laughs> have it so uh -huh. inbred right. in me. Mm -hmm. um, it was just, you know, you had to do class at 8 a.m. before you did your main class at 10 and then after class you went to another class and after that. And that was just how Just I, work. Yeah. 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 And I think where I was lucky, which is not the case for – now as a director, I can see it more. Mm -hmm. 
Many young men, particularly, not so much for women, but men can sort of float into ballet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're the star of the ballet school. Everyone loves you. You're the lead in everything. You get into a bigger ballet school, but still you're a, a little a collection of people and yeah. they, they praise you differently. Right. So you're not committed, you know. Mm-hmm. I committed. I was 16. I'd already done all this education for other things and – went into a form that I, I knew I wanted to be in, but I was also the very bottom of it. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I just came in with that kind of thing. And my brother did the same thing. I mean, he yeah. started like six months after me and uh-huh. he became a principal of the Australian Ballet. That's so crazy. So, that, I mean, oh. he had four and a half years, but it was just – and I think maybe, you know, honestly watching it so much – already gave us a concept of the line right. and the yeah. shape. Right. We knew music very well. Mm-hmm. Dad and mum, we grew up with classical music mm-hmm. around us, mm-hmm. uh, also being theatrical. <laughs> you right. know, we're right. all a theatrical family. We'd been in plays and musicals. We just hadn't done ballet. Right. right. So was it always your plan to return to Australia to dance professionally or did you ever think like, oh, maybe I should stay in San Francisco? No, I'd and- love to. I, you know, I think there was a turning point where I made that decision and I often – you know, you look back at your life, I'm nearly 50, and I think that was a really interesting choice that I made and had I, why did I make that choice? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at the time it was just that when I'd gone across to, from here, from, sorry, from Australia to America, the company had already shown such interest in me. Mm-hmm. I'd have felt guilty in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Right. But I know that Helgi was lovely to me and uh, has always been like mm-hmm. that to me, so... Yeah, and I often think, <laughs> you know, it's that sliding door choice right. and that was my moment. Right. That. Yeah. But um, I, I don't know if choreographically I'd have had, you know, uh, where would you have ended up? What, what mm-hmm. do I, yeah, right. I don't know. Right. Yeah, so you became interested in choreography very early on in your time at yes. the Australian Ballet. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those early works you created? Sure. Well, it was actually back in, again, in mum and dad's ballet school because part of our curriculum was making a ballet. Every every kid had to make a ballet and to show the other sides of those things. And I made a ballet and it won an award and got bought by another youth ballet company. And that was all at 17. So All at 17, having only been dancing for yeah. uh, like five minutes. <laughs> and, uh, incredible. Yeah, and that was just sort of how that started. So the choreography and the dancing were always at the same time right. in, in different areas. And I think when I was determined to be an actor, I was writing screenplays. You know, so I always felt as a performer, you have to contribute product to the art form as well so that's always been how I like to perform so if I played an instrument I'm sure I'd have wanted to write music as well just I can't disconnect the thing right so when you're talking about um an interest in screenplays when you really wanted to be an actor Mm -hmm. did you take that kind of narrative into the work your early works that you did sure and I think more so now actually Mm -hmm. uh, because the early works you do more abstract and uh, I did start with kind of story-ish things I mean the very first ballet was called Hades (laughs) and was about ascending into Greek hell and all the different characters from (laughs) hell (laughs) which you know when you're a young teenager yeah but it makes sense whenever Uh I see choreographic workshops with our young kids they always do the darkest most uh, and as an adult you think oh I don't want to really go into that subject so you're braver in a in a weird way yeah um but now as a as a a choreographer who makes full-length story ballets Mm -hmm. then I very much use the screenplay concept and you need to have your beginning middle and end it's no different from an essay or writing a great um 
And that can get lost because I think in storytelling, there really does those arcs and those character arcs for each person are really important. Mm -hmm. So you were commissioned only a year after being in the company to create your first work for the Australian Ballet. Is that right? Is it? Yeah, I, I guess think so. Yeah. <laughs> That's what Wikipedia said. But you but, know um, Wikipedia. I think it, it's, but I had done all this material in the school. So the okay. Australian Ballet School, I'd done, about, yeah, I'd done about four or five ballets for them. Mm -hmm. And I was out in the school world making ballets a lot. So by the time I'd done the piece for the Australian Ballet, uh, I felt like Mayna and uh, the people in charge had seen more than one of sure, my works yeah. before. You could do. Yeah. And then uh, only five years into your career, you became the resident choreographer of the Australian Ballet. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what was that like? Um, that Things clearly escalated really fast on that, that front. Was it yeah. kind of difficult to keep a hold of that while you were at the same time rising as Dancing? a dancer? Yes. I mean, I think it overtook it. Mm -hmm. it one killed the other. Mm -hmm. But... Not in a nasty way or a malicious way. I mean, I felt like it, they were both kept going and then it came to a point where as a dance, you know, I, I try to describe this as a director sometimes, that, you know, ballet is a very jealous lover. Mm. So if you share your interest with something else, it your ballet goes down. Yeah. And I couldn't stay f both and I could feel it in my body, like I wasn't on top of my technique right, as right. much. And then you get a little less work and then you get paranoid about getting less. So, but, right. <laughs> yeah. So then I got this spate in 2000 where I had like four commissions in a row mm -hmm. and uh, it took up the whole year. So I thought, well, I'll take a year off and I'll see if this continues. And if it doesn't, I'm in America and I'll audition for Mark Morris. That was all in my brain. Uh -huh. um, and he doesn't know that, Mark. <laughs> and and uh, it didn't. So from the end of that period, I got yes. became a director of Houston Ballet and uh, yeah so it was strange and I, I I don't look back on it with regret but it was certainly one suffocated the other it just became it they, they need too much attention mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so uh, how did the position at Houston come about and were you were you looking at that as a way to continue to, to choreograph yeah I mean I wasn't really looking for something like that I felt young and I felt you know becoming a director is like getting married and being a choreographer is, is like dating. So, <laughs> <laughs> so when you, you choreograph in different companies, you know, it's, it's nice, it's fresh, it yeah. feels different. Um, what had the interest for me with Houston Valley was I'd choreographed there a few times before and Ben Stevenson had made this very unique company in the American world. It was more sort of English and European, which reminded me a lot of Australia. So... Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that it was different. I liked for an American dancer, you have your San Francisco ballet, you have your New York City ballet, ABT, Houston ballet. They're all very different in yeah. their repertoire. Mm -hmm. And it's good that dancers have the, that kind right. of choice. Mm -hmm. So in my head, my motivation was it's really important this company stays as a choreographer-based company and doesn't become another historic company or a company that need you know does a repertoire that everybody is doing. Yeah, sure. And uh, so I, <laughs> I applied and then it happened. <laughs> so I, I guess I hadn't really felt like that was necessarily going to happen right then. I thought it was practice for something that might. Sure. Okay. Right. But I did think it was important for that company to maintain that and to maintain the fact that it loves storytelling ballets, which is what Ben did. He made a storytelling ballet nearly every year, every two years. And I wanted to do that and I think it's important that they do it. So the dancers in the company in Houston really love acting. They take that really 
seriously. So right down to the back of the core and that stuff I really like. Right. I love film. And, and Sure. So from the time that you applied for the job, how long was it until you were taking over? <laughs> A year? Because these processes, Maybe, yeah, yeah, they're very, very extensive from yeah. the board's perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think it was about a year. Mm-hmm. Did you come down and or go I to I did. I mean, ironically, I'd been employed by them to make a full-length ballet that year that I took right. over. So, oh. I mean, I, I was there nearly every year anyway, anyway as, as a yeah. choreographer. So it was weird that I got the job and then the very first thing that happened was this full-length, which I would not have ever programmed. Right. <laughs> you don't want to arrive and go... Here's my Here's me. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, yeah, and, I mean, I knew Ben and I and Ben still is very connected to the company. We still do a lot of his work. So it was. It didn't feel like a right-angle director change. It, mm-hmm. it was a curve, Good. right? Yeah. if that makes sense. Yes, of yeah. course. Yeah. yeah, that's so wonderful because, I mean, so often those transitions can be a really well, tough moment. Yeah, they're either execution or, or the exactly. curve, yes, you know, exactly. and, I mean, and that – People blame directors and blame the dancers, but the reality is that that's the board's decision. Mm-hmm. Right. So if they choose to hire someone in a company that's always been a balancing-based company and now they've hired someone who's from Europe, then they're deliberately changing the yeah. style of the company. Exactly. And as disruptive as that is for all of us, and both my parents dance, my brother, his wife, we all change jobs and move jobs and sort of part of the caravan of being a dancer and you have to move to be where you feel connected. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it is interesting that way. I, I, it, I wanted to stay respectful to everything that had been before mm-hmm. and because I'd worked there before, I thought that was important. Right. And in Australia, I'd gone through three directors and there was one that was one of those really right-angle changes right. and I just watched your friends get decimated. Right. Yes. And you're like, wow, that wasn't really about them. It was just about changing the ship too, right. <laughs> too right. violently yeah. and we lost a lot of people overboard and, yeah. yeah. So uh, what were some of your initial plans for the company? Uh, for so, Houston? Yes. And how did you sort of implement them? Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I, I look back now and I think uh, we have achieved a lot, but I, I, I couldn't tell you that there was sort of landmark – we, we built a great building, you know, uh, and we used actually this building as our example that right beside your opera house they built a building that is nothing but ballet. Mm-hmm. And that's so rare and yeah. from the ground for ballet. And when we got motivated behind that, uh, that's fantastic. So we're connected by a sky bridge to our theatre. We have six floors. We have dorms in the top for the kids. It's all ballet. We have a black box theatre in the ground. That to me was an extraordinary achievement for the city to say, we have decided that in the heart of your city, ballet will always be. Right. How involved were you in the process for raising the funds for that? Very. Yeah, I, I bet. I bet. Yeah. And of course, I mean, in the, all the decisions, I mean, we had panels with dancers, panels with architects. We wanted to, we wanted it to be the best, and we wanted to make sure that we didn't need anything new from it for a long right. time. And we've been in it for seven years, and we're full. We could already argue up or beside, you right, know, like, right, yeah. and that's exactly what we wanted to be, you know. Right. Yeah. And I love the, I just love that idea of when a city commits to, I mean, it's like the difference. There are theaters that are companies that don't have a home base like that. And then they're never really connected into the, into the city. Um, so that was a real, a really great thing. And then of course we wanted to build what we call the choreographic utopia, the Garden of Eden for choreography. So we have four dress rehearsals all days apart 
all with tons of lighting time and tons of preparation time. And we really fight to keep that right. there for them. Um, doesn't always work, right. but that, that was the plan. So, uh, we can get access to some ballets that were really tricky, something like mailing that takes a great deal of rehearsal. Um, and I think we, we build a structure that enables that or try to build a structure that enables that. And then also having a new full length every two years, you know, to continue that message, even if every year. Uh, but we want to be creating stories and big stories that involve all sorts of dancers, all sorts of age groups of dancers. Um, how do you approach that process? I'm sure there's some pressure for those full lengths to be um, box office hits. Oh, yeah. So you have some to- pressure. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's all the pressure. They yeah. all, everyone wants a fairy story. Yeah, right? yeah. So, but that just isn't real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, I think I'm really lucky with uh, the board and everything. I guess in the way I try to structure my year is we have three full lengths a year, mm-hmm. and one of them is what we're talking about. There are four really that do all the big selling: mm-hmm. Swan Lake, Sleeping Beauty. Uh, Romeo and Juliet, Cinderella, maybe, mm-hmm. and they rotate each year. Mm-hmm. So that's how I please that element. Right. <laughs> right, right. And then you have another full length every year that might not sell, that might be a weird subject. Right. Mailing is one of those examples. He kills himself, he shoots his lover, he rapes people. There's not a happy minute in, but it's a great ballet. Uh-huh. And the dancers really, really wanted to do it and uh, the audience loved it. Will it ever sell to the level of Cinderella? No. Right. But we need to do both. Mm-hmm. And and that was really the thing. So, And the third one should be the new one, the wild card one. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they're hugely successful, sometimes they're not. For us next year we're doing a new Sylvia. Oh, How will cool. that sell? I don't know yet. You know, I mean, ballet people sort of go, oh, I know that. Right. But yeah. Regular people, I don't know, so much. <laughs> so um, that, that's out there. I mean, Bayadere we did new about 10 years ago, and it's really become one of the cash cows. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it sells really well. It's starting to build momentum behind it. And I'm sure San Francisco has a ballet like that too. In Australia, Merry Widow and Capalia were both ballets like that because it became a history of the right. company right. and they saw multiple dancers do it. So, yeah. Yeah. So how much has the company changed and evolved in the past 15 years since you've been artistic director? Wow. Um, well, we've grown to 60. We were 50-something or 48, I think, when I arrived. It's a huge feat that people might not to realize that over, to be able to that. add sure. the salaries. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, we had a recession in there. Right. <laughs> and exactly. we also had this hurricane which wiped us away. But uh, we're at 60, and that – and the school has certainly increased dramatically. We have dorm rooms now for, you know, 20, 30-plus kids. Um, our summer course is very big. We have tried to have at least one international tour a year. Um, the staff are bigger. We have more staff. We have guest teachers, which they didn't have before. I try to bring international people in. So they're all, they're all things. Uh, we have choreographic workshops. Um, but, yeah, I haven't. It feels like a long time, but it also feels very fast. So right. it's interesting when I try to turn around and look back at what we've done, I haven't really analysed it to right. that degree, right, right. you know. Mm-hmm. But I certainly feel like the dancer quality is extraordinarily high and that they're very committed and, yeah, and I love that. I love going into a room where the whole energy of the room is focused on what's going on and that is not always what you experience. So 
that is something that I, I feel proud of and I think is something that we're, we're good at. <laughs> How do you think the experience of directing the company has differed from your initial expectations? Oh, God. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm lucky in the fact that my parents were both directors of more than one company each. And you saw some pretty rough stuff. Sure. Um, so I didn't come in thinking it's not a pleasurable job. It's, it's, I think it is after. I think it is you feel, ah, oh, it's hard to so explain. Like, like raising children? Like you, well, <laughs> like it's, it's hard but yeah. rewarding. But only teenage children. <laughs> <laughs> I think you, you don't always have the toddler cute, smelly, right. huggy uh. part. <laughs> you have from about 12 to 16. Uh. Um, yeah, and the, and the rewards, I mean, you feel like I'm old enough now there that you get the letters from people who have retired for 10 years looking back who are full of thanks and full of but in in the they're all wanting to be stars all of them and I get it everyone's racing for the same thing and we're often the people who are the block to some of those things mm. um and that's hard and it's not pleasurable and you know I think that people often view <laughs> uh, directors or or uh, ballet masters as enjoying delivering negative news, that's not a pleasurable thing at all. Uh, it really isn't. And as a dancer, we all dance. I remember not getting a role that I really felt like I deserved. I remember going in and, uh, yeah, yeah, I deserve this. I mean, of course, that's what we do. But then sitting on the other side of that table is someone who is also working so hard to get you all these things that you need and want. And, and that's, where it, that's where it's tricky. Yeah. So I think it's really interesting that you had that inside view into the role, the position um, at such a young age mm -hmm. with your parents both being directors because directing a company, there isn't really a way to transition into it. It's a little bit like president of the United States. Oh, yeah. you, know, you, don't know, you don't know what you're doing until you're there. <laughs> and I but think, you had an idea, having oh, seen it. Oh, but I'd it. also say the idea is that you just don't know. It's just exactly how you described it. Was it Obama or someone who said that? About, you know, you don't really know if you can be the job until you're doing the job. Right. And, and that is true. And I also would say that every company is different. Mm -hmm. right. So you, you don't even learn it in one – you don't learn one set of skills. The next place is completely different. Right. All of us manage differently. Uh, so, yeah, it's just – you feel like you're in an ER room sometimes, mm. I feel like. So you, you're waiting for the thing to come in and you're trying to save it and fix it and move it out and yeah. waiting for the next <laughs> thing. And sometimes it's quiet for a while and sometimes there's 4,000 things at once, yeah. It's just such a difficult job. I wouldn't want to do it, let me tell you. <laughs> but, I think but what's rewarding is watching, you know, I've seen now kids who are 10 or 8, younger, 6, go all the way through the school into the company into soloist, up to Prince. I mean, that stuff is, mm -hmm. right. that feels like a parent. To watch that art. Right. Yeah, because yeah. you're really like, wow. I mean, that gives me goosebumps. Mm -hmm. and Or they're coming to the end of their 20-year dance career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I did this for you and this for you and this for <laughs> But, yeah, yeah. interesting. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your work for Unbound? Sure. Um, well, it's called Bespoke and it's to bark and it's a ballet of, I've used five movements and the idea of it was because of the festival and arriving and having different groups I wanted to be very open in what I was coming to make and that was where the title came from so when I collected the cast I tried to make a ballet that was very individual to 
their technique and their phrasing and their musicality and very tailor-made to each person. So the first movement has everybody in it and then the second movement is a part of der and the third movement is three ladies. Fourth movement is all men and then the fifth movement is everybody collectively. Mm-hmm. And I think when I started working on it being back in the building and and reminiscing as you do when I'm here and it's been 88 was when I came here in the school so it's 30 years. Mm-hmm. And all these rooms are the same, the curtains look the same, you know. <laughs> and But what was different was my friends and the people I danced with have now had kids and are often other professions. So the ballet sort of became about dealing with ballet and being a muse or, or how is your relationship with ballet. So all of us have this love-hate relationship with dance. We all... You know, technique is not something that ever just finishes or arrives. You could never walk off from a show and go, I nailed that. Perfect. You know, <laughs> it's just not real. So you have this, you know, needing relationship with it, and that's what it became about. And then at the end of the ballet, it was inevitably your ballet leaves you and it keeps going and it finds someone else. But you had your time with it and it leaves you and that's sad and romantic and devastating and upsetting and some people finish ballet angry and some people finish cathartic and so the end of the ballet is each of these couples having ballet drip away from them um so that was it what i was about (laughs) 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 no i mean it makes me upset too michael you gotta take the next one um yeah so i think that for each dancer There isn't one who specifically danced. They each experience it. You know what I'm saying? So uh, the part of her with Mathilde and Carlo, either one of them could be dance. She'd just come back from this injury mm-hmm. and was so excited to yeah. be back. Yeah. But injuries take people out like a gunshot. Right. You know? So they can be the greatest dancer of the sun. You know that. Right. Know that. And then suddenly they're gone and ballet keeps moving on and... Yeah, so that's what it became about. That's so lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very upset, no, no. No, you've had such you've had such a long relationship with the organization. I I remember when we were first here in our summer of Rebecca and I both went to the summer program. Oh, right. Yeah. Um uh, in 2003 or 4 and I remember looking out and seeing you working with, with <laughs> on a, a ballet at that point. Yeah. So, what keeps bringing you back to San Francisco Helgi. Ballet? Helgi. <laughs> what? Not what, but who? Yeah. <laughs> no, Helgi for uh-huh. sure. Um Yeah, he's just always been a really great figure for me and I feel like you know you have your dance parents and I you have people who were really instrumental in you and he's just been that for me. And when I came here, we had the United We Dance Festival. I don't know if you guys remember that. They it was 30 years ago mm-hmm. and uh he'd collected all the companies from all the countries that were a part of the UN and each of them made a ballet from their own country with their own dance. Yeah. And then came here. It was I've never still experienced anything like that. Mm-hmm. So we would sit in the, that opera house and they'd have breakfast and everything there like the Olympics just with every country of dancer that you can imagine, mm-hmm. group classes. So that's where I made a ballet and from that he called me in and said come back and make a ballet for him here. Mm-hmm. And that ballet Meninius is where my career in America took off because mm-hmm. from that I got several other jobs and oh, wow. yeah so he it really he he brought me into america um yeah 
<laughs> and he knew you as a young boy in the school when you were here. So it's kind of yeah. like what you were talking about. That yeah. like being able to see that yeah, arc exactly. must be gratifying for him too. in a way. Yeah, I and mean, he's got lots of arcs like that, I'm yeah. sure. But uh, yes, no, I do. I think that that, that is, uh, is part of the connection. And I certainly use him a lot as, as my voice to what we are trying to achieve in Houston is to using this company and, and the way it's, it's so integrated into its city as an example, because right. I don't think that that's the case for every American company. Right. So one thing we've been hearing a lot about while we've been here is how unique the situation is that all the choreographers, there's 12 of you, and normally when you go anywhere, it's just one of you. Yes. So <laughs> what has it been like to kind of have this like brotherhood in a sense um, oh, with all of you here together to support each other? Yeah, great. I mean, we don't see each other. You're right. Normally you arrive on the day they're leaving. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you hear of each other but mm-hmm. don't meet. I'm a little luckier because as a director, I, I get to bring see people right. in. That's true. Yeah. yeah. But um, no, I've never seen anything like this. And, and I think... It's nice just to watch each other's work. And David Dawson was talking to me the other day, and I feel the same way. What was so fascinating to me was watching rehearsals more than the product of the show was because everyone is so different and it makes you feel more confident in yourself to understand that we're all as weird as each other. (laughs) And, you know, to have 12 weirdos in the one place at the one time gives you power. You don't really see each other work. No. Yeah. And that you suddenly realize everyone's insecure and everyone's Mm -hmm. has, has their thing. And Mm -hmm. that calms me down. That makes me feel like, you know, I think it's so, it must be so different from as dancers we have those neuroses and but we have each other too we are a team of artists (laughs) (laughs) designers too the costume designers yeah Uh, yeah. i mean it was that was the funniest thing about becoming director to me was i had imagined everyone on the artist side i knew we were all the way we were but all the money people and all that are the same drama (laughs) that it's just different i mean it's just part of being human (laughs) Um, Okay, well, that takes us to the end of our first section of this interview. (laughs) No, we only have a little bit left. Um, Like part two. Part two, no. (laughs) Um, This is our lightning round that we used to close out our interviews. So it's just we're going to ask you a quick question and you tell us the first thing that comes up. Okay. It's no pressure at all. Um, What is your biggest source of inspiration for your choreography, I think, is what I'm (laughs) Well, I'd say... My family is, in a way. I'm I'm a homebody. I love gardening and dogs and life like that. And that, when I have that, that makes me want to make stuff. Mm-hmm. When I lived in New York for a while and was in an apartment and, and much more high energy, I didn't have that same. I I I like neighborhoods and <laughs> suburbia. Right. <laughs> uh, there's something about that. And I talking to my family. Um, that's really always been a big inspiration for me. What works do you most admire as a choreographer? In other people? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, well, I did this great ballet no, last well, year. <laughs> I was going to say, well, I can't answer that. <gasps> well, that that's big. I mean, there's certainly lots and lots of people. Um, I mean, like growing up uh, for the storytelling stuff, is certainly Cranko and McMillan and John Neumeyer, uh, they were people that really stuck in my brain. David Bentley, who I actually saw here you know, back 30 years ago. Mm. Uh, Sons of Horus, I don't know if you remember that ballet. So, yeah, they were really inspirational in keeping storytelling alive. And then 
You know, I can find inspiration in watching anything. I saw the program last night with Alonzo and Chris and Justin. They all had great things, mm-hmm. all things that make you go, oh, that's cool. I want to I wanna try to capture that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that gives you juice. Um, right. and so, yeah. But so I, it, it goes on and on and on. Uh, and, of course, then you've got the Killians and the Balanchines and the Robins and the mm-hmm. Billy Forsyth <laughs> and those people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, a director, you think it'd be hard to build a program. I always find it hard to leave people out. Mm. I mean, you could have a year of just one act ballets, 24 of them, and still leave out. Yeah, right. Oh, That's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, what is your dream project for Houston Ballet? Giving you fifty million dollars. Fifty million. Uh, I would film everything then. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If we had fifty million, because we've been budgeting this a little bit, <laughs> so approximately a million per ballet. But no, I, I would think that because we have access to our theatre, unlike most places do, it's dark and they don't kick us out and they don't pay. We don't pay for that time. Right. So we could do weekend and then film Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and then do the weekend of each of the programs. And I think you guys have sort of done this. That lives forever. And as a foreigner, I grew up on those films, ABT at San Francisco, uh, you know. about this a lot. So many people say that. It made me dance. Mm -hmm. It made me want to dance. I would watch videos. I'd learn those solos. I learned their their style from those videos. And we've sort of all lost that. And it was all about PBS and in Australia, the ABC filming those things. But the reality is with the internet and Facebook, getting those little sections of pas de and ballets out forever in the world, just it brings students in, it brings dancers in. So that's what I'd like. I'd like a record of all our company now doing all the things that we've just done forever that's great. on a record. I love that. <laughs> What narrative would you most like to bring to Houston that you haven't done yet? A story? Wow. Um, Yeah. I'd like to write my own. I think ultimately where I'd like to get to, you know, I I love retelling the classics and I've made ballets like Marie Antoinette where I took a historical figure and made a story. But I think the final step of that in in screenwriting is is to take characters that no one knows and and make them like that and that would be really great and you know maybe there's a sequel maybe those characters return in another full-length ballet later on in their life i mean i I don't know you think back in those in the 30s when they would have those episodic radio programs is it possible to have a one-act ballet where characters appear in every year you follow those characters in a different thing. I mean, so th- there are things yeah. like that that could be really cool. But um, and that makes the audience want to come back for more, as right? Well. Yeah, right, you yeah. know, and and you follow this character through its, their life and uh, cool. things like that. I think there are still a lot of storytelling things that we have to explore, right. and uh, and there are of course many great other choreographers who are making full length ballets that we need to bring in, and that would be a part of that fifty million tour. Yeah. <laughs> Our pleasure. <laughs> As the last one, if you could come back to the stage tomorrow, what ballet would you dance? Oh, that is hard because I keep going through different waves of it. I mean, recently it was mailing, watching that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, to do those pas de deux with the gun and everything. And I know that sounds crazy, no. but, yeah, boy, and they really had a great time. Good. And then contemporary stuff I see, I mean, there are some beautiful – I never danced Chris Bruce – and we do a lot of Chris Bruce in, in Houston, and I think that would be fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And Mark Morris. Well, thank you so much. It was so lovely thank to sit you. and thank chat you. with you. Interview. Thank yes, you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you for joining us this week. We will be back next week with an all new episode. But in the meantime, please take a moment to click over to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and give us a rating. Just those little things can be very important in helping our podcast grow. Be sure that you are following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for updates on new episodes and fun throwback content. See you next week on Conversations on Dance. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I am a hydrated girly. But sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just, I just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.